What's up, Story Geeks? Welcome to The Mandalorian Show on the Story Geeks Talk Disney+. Plus. I'm Daryl Smith, and I am the oldest geek in the room. And joining me to dig deeper into this spoiler-filled show covering episode two of The Mandalorian is the empire that is the ESO Network. That's right, Mike Gordon and Ashley Pauls, both of the ESO Network, are here to wipe out our little Story Geeks rebellion. Well, <laughs> not exactly. Ashley, of course, is part of our family as well. So that, there is peace a, in the galaxy. So does that make welcome, me a guys. double agent, I guess? You are a double agent, yes. <laughs> so. Well, Mike, I'm, guilty for as, us again. I'm guilty as well. I certainly have been on enough, uh, and uh, I am glad to be back. This is, this is great fun. Cool. We are going to dive into episode two of The Mandalorian, and just, you know, right off the bat, on a scale of, let's see, 10 being the best, one being the worst, how many Jawas would you get up, give episode two of The Mandalorian? How many exploding Jawas? How many exploding Jawas? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Mike? Um, I think, you know, it's pretty fun. I'll give it, I'll give it an eight. Eight, eight, eight exploding Jawas. Eight exploding Jawas. I like that. Ashley, how about you? I'm going to give it nine exploding Jawas. Um, it was shorter than the last episode, but I felt like it really packed a punch. And it's definitely leaning into that Western vibe, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, I agree. I'd probably go with nine as well. Uh, I think it, it's maybe started a tad bit slow for me, um, but uh, picked up real quick, especially once we got to the little Yoda baby using his Jedi powers. That was unbelievable. <laughs> but I'm jumping the gun. We'll get to that later. So um, let's just run down some questions. I got lots of stuff to talk to you guys about. Um, when the Oh, you know what? I forgot to do this. Before we get too far into the show, let me give a little bit of context. Jay did this on the show before. And this is just for people that may not know a whole lot about the Mandalorian and that whole world. So The Mandalorian takes place a few years after the events of Return of the Jedi and about 20 years before the events of The Force Awakens. The Mandalorians are a race from a planet called Mandalore, appropriately, and they're a very warrior-minded race, very much a warrior culture. And finally, as far as we know, this show is not connected to Boba Fett, at least not yet. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Do you, do you know something we don't know? Well, uh, so there is, uh, we have maybe uh, seen him already um, in the very really? first, yeah, in the very first episode when our uh, main Mandalorian uh, uh, walks into the Maril uh, Mandalorian tribe, tribal area. Uh, once he sort of, ent uh, goes, he goes down the stairs and then he, there's a lot of other Mandalorians kind of hanging about, lounging about. Um, but in the, uh, it's about the like 18 and a half mark in the, in the show. So if you need to like, you know, you've got your digital reader there, you can uh, yeah. just stop it at 1830 or 1831 and you'll see just off to his shoulder in the shadows, there is a figure that has Mandalorian armor, which it looks very remarkably like Boba Fett's. Uh, it's green, red, and yellow, uh, same as his. Uh, he's holding a blaster, I think. Uh, he's got the little cape-ish, uh, uh, and and he's just kind of standing there. Um, so I I don't know. I don't know if this is just uh, sort of something that they just threw in to be just sort of like, ha-ha, or if it, it's actually going to mean something later on, or 
or what? Or maybe it just... Ha I, I find it very difficult to believe it's just a coincidence that he's wearing these colors. Mm -hmm. But that actually is somebody standing there? It's not just the armor like mounted on the wall or something? No, no, it's actually a figure. Yeah, it's standing there, right? So um, oh. it's, uh, it's kind of kooky. Um, I, I, like I said, I don't know what to make of it. Uh, it's not like he interacts with him at all. Um, so... I don't know. I, to be honest, I have no idea what this means as far as uh, whether or not um, this, it, he's really like Boba Fett. I, I don't know what's in canon anymore and what's not as far as Boba Fett's, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, death or, you know, resurgence. I think in one of the books, uh, someone buys his armor or his armor is for sale. Um, and I find it very difficult to believe that uh, someone like, uh, especially Dave Filoni, who's such an adent um, uh, prodigy of George Lucas's, would want to yeah. sort of under undermine him by like saying, no, no, he's really alive. So I, I don't know. I, I mm. feel like this right now is just a, a throwaway, like, hey, kind of cool. Um, but who knows? It, it might mean something later on. So maybe the Sarlacc is allergic to Mandalorian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, or certainly the armor, right? Uh, yeah, there you go. Yep. I, I, you know, I think it also might just be kind of a nice homage to say that, look, um, this is the first episode of a series called The Mandalorian. We all understand, everybody making this, everybody watching this, we all understand that this would not happen if it wasn't for the character of Boba Fett. And yeah. we just wanted to sort of pay some homage to him. So once he, so once our character goes into this realm of, you know, this pocket of Mandalorians, maybe we just sort of get a glimpse. It's sort of like hazy. We're not really sure if that's him or not. Mm. But this is just our way of saying like, this is paying homage to the to the man who brought us here. Either way, it's super cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So if you haven't seen it yet, um, I'm, the screenshots are out there. Um, of what it looks like. And, of course, you can see it for yourself if you've got a pretty good uh, TV. Uh, mine is not 4K, so <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I saw the shadowy... I, once I knew what to look for, I, I could spot him. But, uh, yeah, he's he's there. Somebody's there. That's cool. I'm going to go back and check that out for sure. Uh, okay, let's, do, let's get into episode two here. Um, so my first question for you guys, when the Mandalorian returns to, I'm still pronouncing his name Quill. Do you guys have any understanding that maybe you pronounce it differently? I don't think we've actually heard it on the show, have we? I know. I've just seen the name on IMDb. That's where I'm pulling it from. It's K-U-I-I-L. Yeah, sure. We'll so, go with that. Sounds okay. good. <laughs> so when the Mandalorian returns to Quill and says his ship is destroyed, uh, Quill says the Jawas steal. They don't destroy. So could be just a quick little throwaway line, but I, I'm wondering if there's some significance to that distinction. So Ashley, what do you think? Yeah, um, I think it's kind of interesting if you kind of contrast that with Imperial protocol and philosophy. Like throughout the original trilogy, we see the Imperials destroying all kinds of things all the way up to entire planets, which is a huge waste of resources and more significantly lives. And so kind of when you compare it to what the Jawas are doing, obviously stealing is not good either, but they are repurposing and recycling and they see value in these things that they take. So... Obviously not a good thing either, but they're not just destroying things to destroy things. They're, they're repurposing this content. 
So maybe it's a differentiation between them and the Empire, kind of? Yes, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I like that. That's cool. Mike, what do you think? Um, it, it's sort of, it's one of those uh, lines where it's like, I, I'm not sure if it's really just a, a character that gets hung up on semantics or, or like a grammar Nazi, like in the Star Wars universe or something. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I'm reminded of a quote, uh, one of my favorite movies is a hammer, the hammer version of uh, Dracula. And uh, one of the, um, one of the characters in reference to Dracula uh, says to um, uh, uh, someone, who knows about vampires? He says, "I must kill him." And uh, the the response is, "Not kill. He is already dead. He is undead. He can be destroyed, but not killed." And I'm like, <laughs> really? "Are we, we going to make this distinction?" Like, I think the I think the sentiment is there, right? <laughs> like, right. Like, it seems kind of like um, uh, kind of strange to make that distinction here. But the, the fact of the matter is is that, yes, the Jawas don't set out to destroy anything. I think they're just interested in, uh, yeah, recycling is a, a pretty uh, politically correct way of calling it. <laughs> 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 because it's really akin to, you know, uh, coming outside and finding, like, some punks have stolen your, your, your wheels on your car, right? Like, it's it's kind of like that sort of message. Like, this is... They're, they're not cool people. Uh, the Jawas are not cool people at all. Um, I and I don't know if this is the place really to... But I, I kind of don't like them used here. Um, I'm not really 100% like happy with um, just sort of using the Jawas here just because I, I'm like... It's just it seems like they're like being used sort of as fan service rather than mm. um, like organically. Like, I mean, there's been some speculation that I've seen online that that we're on Tatooine here. Well, that's I, what I was going to ask. I mean, I didn't. I I don't know if the Jawas exist anywhere aside from Tatooine. So yeah, they don't seem very capable of space travel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's possible. Um, and certainly, if this is Tatooine. Um, you know, I, I think, like you guys mentioned, I think in the first episode that you guys were reviewing, I think it was Victoria that pointed out, and quite nicely so, that it would be kind of nice if uh, they told us which planet we were on when yeah. we mm-hmm. were doing yeah. things. And I don't know if there's a reason that they're not telling us. Um, but certainly uh, the fact that uh, Quill or, uh, uh, <laughs> says, um, says that this is a place where a lot of us go to find peace it almost seems like, you know, that's why, you know, maybe Obi-Wan it, it, it was there, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Like, it's it sort of ties in to that. Mm-hmm. Like, we are far away from the action, and we want, to, you know, we... It, so, if it's not Tatooine, it kind of fits the same bill as Tatooine. Yeah, and where they go, where the gunfight takes place with, like, IG-11 sort of has that Moss Eisley vibe to it. And... Yeah, and, and it looks like Quill's farm is a moisture farm. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, that's, it's kind of like, okay, but I think, you know, when he's approaching it, I don't think it looks like tattooing, uh, you know, when we see it from the, from space. So I don't know. I, it just seems odd that it, they would, they would make, I mean, a lot of Star Wars takes place on tattooing a lot. I think almost, I think four out of the nine movies have a scene at least in tattooing. Mm-hmm. So Tatooine is pretty well represent for for an out of the nowhere like place like yeah. it's pretty well it's pretty well represented in the Star Wars saga. It's true, it's true. Yeah, I for me I think that line just sort of I feel like it was just sort of a mechanical way for him to say 
well, your stuff's not gone. Like we can go get it and I'll help you do that. You know, yes. like, yeah. so they don't, st- they steal, they don't destroy. So it's, we can still fix this, but I just, you know, who would we be if we didn't dive into these lines that could mean nothing? We spent like an hour <laughs> talking about Han telling someone he'd see him in hell. So <laughs> it's Star Wars. No line means nothing. <laughs> exactly. <That's right. laughs> Speaking of which we knew this line here didn't mean nothing, but uh, the Mandalorian says, I'm a Mandalorian. Weapons are part of my religion. Um, you guys probably know more about the Mandalorian culture than I do, so maybe you're just educating me here, but I'm curious what you guys make of that line. Ashley, what do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I say I would probably be more familiar with Mandalorian culture from the expanded universe, which is now known as Legends and non-canon. So I find myself a little bit confused sometimes. Okay, what was carried over from that and what's new about the Mandalorians, especially when we see in the Clone Wars animated series where the planet Mandalore are known for being more as pacifists, but then you have kind of this rogue element that's more interested in kind of the the warrior-like part of the culture. So I am really curious. I hope that they kind of come back to this within the Mandalorian and see what he means by that. Um, I personally kind of felt like he was speaking symbolically, like he lives and dies by this weapon. This is the way of life he believes in, and he doesn't want to be parted from it. Maybe it's the only thing he feels he can trust. If you're a bounty hunter, like you're not able to necessarily trust the people around you that you're working with. So this weapon... This is his life. This is what he trusts to keep him safe. So, but it was an interesting line. I'm curious to see if they will do more with that later on in the show. For sure. Mike, educate us. <laughs> well, I, I am not a Mandalorian uh, expert by any means. Um, I, uh, you know, I've, I've, look, I think, and I think that what's really cool is that you don't need to be to watch this series. Yeah. Um, I think so far the series has given us pretty much everything we need so far. Um, with the exception of maybe uh, the, the, the child um, and the implications thereof. But we'll talk about that later. Um, but as far as the Mandalorians goes, I mean, it, look, it's set up in the first episode that armor means a lot to them. Uh, it's, it's almost like a religious um, ceremony when, as he's getting this new piece of armor attached to him. Um, you know, it's like this, something that, a, a, a warrior, a Mandalorian warrior builds towards, right? As he, as he gets experiences, he, he sort of builds up his armor, um, more and more. And I think, I think weaponsry probably plays a lot into that. Um, I'm also reminded of, uh, Rebels with, uh, the Mandalorian cast member, uh, there, uh, a character there, Sabine, who at one point gets, uh, acquires, uh, the Darksaber. And uh, it looks like that's a pretty big deal as far as uh, the way the Mandalorians treat uh, that particular weapon as far as being um, important to them. Um, and it sort of uh, it sort of puts her in a place of reverence that she didn't have before. So I do think that there is a history that we've seen in, uh, in just like some of the Dave Filoni stuff that... Um, that weapons do mean something to them, just like armor does. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I find it interesting that him saying that comes up in the same episode where we see someone use the force for the first time. Mm. So I'm yes. wondering if we're going to get some sort of a ideological conflict between those two at some point in this series. I think that'd be kind of cool. I think there's also, um, you know, the weapon that he uses, the fork, is not something that I can recall 
uh, Boba Fett using in the movies, although I think he had it in the holiday special when he was introduced. <laughs> Are um, we counting that? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I I think that um, we get to see like it does various things, like it blows out, it shoots out fire. Um, it also you know does other things as well. So I think the fact that they've established that the Mandalorians, more than one Mandalorians, use this particular weapon of choice, shows you that there is a like there is a system of how they. Um, uh, carry their weapons and what weapons mean something and make up whether or not they're a Mandalorian or not. Like if you see, you, know, you don't see other tribes or other warriors or other races carrying around those weapons. Right. Yeah, totally. Uh, okay. Next question here. The Mandalorian was outraged when the Jawas were making him trade for his own property that they stole. So yet he makes his living as a bounty hunter. So I'm curious what you guys think is one morally superior to the other. Ashley, what do you think? Well, it's always interesting what moral distinctions people make based on their own perspectives. Because, I mean, when you really think about it, like killing and kidnapping people, which is what the Mandalorian does, is not really better than the Jawas who steal stuff. (laughs) I mean, they technically aren't even physically hurting anyone. So my guess is that the Mandalorian is maybe going to grapple with some of the moral compromises he's had to make as part of his work in order to work as a bounty hunter. And maybe some of these views will be challenged. I think, especially when he sees that the bounty he's been sent after is this baby, you know, we can kind of see him struggling, you know, he doesn't want to hurt this child. So I I think that we're going to, the Mandalorian will have to confront his own moral code and maybe some of his views will change throughout the show. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. Mike, what do you think? Well, uh, yes, we've seen that he's a bounty hunter. He admits as much. uh, But um, it doesn't mean that necessarily he's a quote-unquote bad guy. Um, And there's nothing much that we see him do so far that establishes him as somebody that we can't really um, uh, root for. Editor's note, except for, you know, murdering a bunch of Jawas that were just stealing his stuff. Um, the, the, the target that he picks up in the first episode is a, you know, it's kind of a sleazy con guy, right. That we can't trust. And, you know, I'm not saying that he's deserved to, to die, but certainly, um, you're just not a Horatio Sands fan. (laughs) 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 Well, he doesn't seem like an outstanding citizen. Let's put it that way. Yes. Um, uh, so, uh, and, and. When he takes this uh, task, uh, when he takes this mission, he's not, he doesn't know what the target is. Um, once he does know what the target is, when faced with the choice of um, bringing it in dead or alive, he, in fact, uh, does pretty extreme, uh, he, he acts pretty extreme in order to keep this uh, baby alive. Yeah. Uh, this child alive. So by taking out uh, IG-11. So, um, so we've seen that he has a code. Uh, in fact... The, when he gets paid a down payment for this mission, the first thing he does is, yeah, he upgrades his armor a little bit, but he also um, gives a substantial amount to to families that are in the Mandalorian clan that he's he's a part of. So he's got a code, and I think this is just sort of a, another way of say uh, of of us an example of that. Where yes, he's he's not just going to steal to steal. He's not going to um, you know just uh, create chaos. He's a guy that really um, uh, has a code and wants to stick by it. And anybody who doesn't uh, doesn't have that co- same code, he's he doesn't have any respect for. 
Yeah, I. Uh, it's interesting because it just seems like it's them being annoyed by being challenged by each other, right? Like he's just annoyed that they took his stuff and the Jawas are annoyed that he's messing with them and trying to get it back. Oh yeah, just a bunch of annoyance and murder. I, I, the difference is, actually, like you said, I think this kind of stuff is really going to make him question his moral position and what really matters to him. I don't see that happening with the Jawas. They got their nasty little egg. I think they were yeah. happy. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Wow, you guys really hate the Jawas, don't you? Okay, let's talk about the child, the Yoda child. Um, not, that is, not, not that it is the child of Yoda or Yoda as a child. I'm not making that jump, but uh, <laughs> the Yoda-like child Obviously, he is Force-sensitive. Um, and so we talked on the first episode of this show a lot about uh, his race, how we've only seen Yoda and Yaddle at this point, both of which were Jedis. And so we're like, does his whole race have Force-sensitivity? Is this just a coincidence? We don't know the name of the race. There's a whole lot we don't know about that. But um, now that we know he's Force-sensitive, what are you guys thinking that this says about his identity and his race at large. Ashley, what do you think? Well, as soon as I saw Baby Yoda in episode one, I was super <laughs> curious to see whether the creature would <laughs> yeah. end up using the Force. Like you said, we've only seen basically two people from the species, and both are Jedi. So I was really looking forward to seeing what they would do with that. And then, so of course, once we got to this part in episode two, I was really excited to see this. And I think this is a really interesting place for them to go with the show. And I think regardless of whether this creature is or isn't related to Yoda or is a clone or whatever number of things it could be, I am definitely invested now to see where it goes and just to learn why so many people are after this child. Like the client tries to hire the Mandalorian to get this child and then the Mandalorian fights a bunch of people who are trying to protect or keep the child for themselves. There's definitely something more going on here, and I feel like the fact that this child has force powers just adds to the sense of intrigue surrounding the mystery. Totally. What do you think, Mike? Absolutely. Uh, that's yeah, that's all true. I mean, we we certainly don't know enough to to make any sort of uh, just you know definite uh, answers as to what the child's identity is. But um, yeah, I I find it um, not coincidental that. We're getting this show now, right before Rise of Skywalker, uh, that the um, the second to last episode airs before the movie, and the finale airs after it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, you know, I don't think that's a uh, a scheduling um, uh, coincidence. Uh, and you know, with the fact that uh, with Rise of the Skywalker coming out, we we're seeing or we're hearing that there is return of the Emperor, right? So a lot of a lot of uh, how is that going to work? And the obvious thing is clones. Uh, um, I think the obvious answer is clones to uh, that answer, and maybe this one too. Um, I think there's some reason to believe that the Doctor that we saw in the first episode that wants him mm-hmm. alive is is related to um uh cloning so um i I think that's where the center the pendulum is swinging that this is a a clone of yoda um and and obviously that's a that's a pretty big leap of what they but i think that's where they're going and i don't know if there could be a twist there um but certainly the implications of that are uh pretty outstanding like if there is a clone of yoda out there um it is it is like it is a lot to take in and what does that mean for 
you know, the, what we're going to see it right in the last movie. Who knows? Well, that would mean you can clone force sensitivity, which is right. yeah. a gigantic box of worms. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's insane. <laughs> that's a scary you power. Just, you just add a dose of midi-chlorians. It's yeah. that easy. <laughs> you build your own Jedi army. <laughs> uh, you know, and there's also rumors that, uh, that Anakin... Is his birth was not uh, let's say a normal birth? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's rumors that um, Ray is the same thing. So you know, I mean this this whole issue of cloning and and how beings are created and whether or not the Force is capable of doing stuff like that, I think is something that that maybe is going to be. I mean, who knew that that would be maybe what the last movie is going to deal with? Yeah. Oh man, so much good stuff coming. Who knows? Yes. <laughs> um, well, when the child used the Force, Quill and the Mandalorian didn't seem to understand what was happening between the child and the creature. Do you think that they don't even know about the Force? Because it seems like the Force is this universally known thing throughout the Star Wars canon, but they certainly don't seem to understand what was going on there. So, Ashley, do you think that they don't even know about it? Yeah, it's this is one of the interesting things to me about some of the stuff we've seen that has taken place after Return of the Jedi. I mean, when you look back to the prequels, it seems like the Jedi were everywhere. Like they were involved in galactic politics, you know, they were a big part of the Clone Wars. And so when you think about it, this is not really that long after the Clone Wars. So it seems kind of weird to me that people would just forget about the Jedi and the Force. But it could be that the Jedi, if they were kind of more focused on Coruscant, maybe getting a little too involved in Glassic galactic politics and kind of isolating themselves and being secretive about the training of the Jedi that maybe common people outside of Coruscant didn't really know that much about the force Mm. or maybe the information they had was kind of scattered and spotty like what does the force do are there a lot of misconceptions and um, I just think it's interesting that maybe people outside kind of that narrow circle like in the outer rim out here don't really know about the force and the Jedi and what they do so I am curious to see what the Mandalorian will be learning more about the Force. I'm sure he will be, considering that the child has these Force powers. Yeah. Yeah, I just, it's just so weird to think that someone doesn't know what it is. But yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Mike, what do you think? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, as we pointed out, they are on a planet that, you know, that is designed for folks to get away from everything. So, yeah. uh, so I think, you know, um, the fact, and it's one thing to hear stories about them. But then to actually see it with your own eyes, uh, that's another thing where you just don't make that connection automatically. You're like, I don't like, okay, I've heard about the force, but I've never seen it. So, and certainly you wouldn't expect it from, you know, a a little creature in a, uh, in a, in a hover cart, you know, like a a hover crib, if you will. Uh, (laughs) uh, But, uh, um, I also think that, yes, I mean, it's established that uh, it's interesting the way that they play with this, too, because a few scenes before that, when the Mandalorian is trying to uh, repair his his arm, uh, administer some sort of uh, yeah. medicine to it, you know, the, the, the child figure, like, gets out of the uh, hover crib and, and starts, like, moving, and he starts, like, you know, moving his hand and concentrating, and we all know what's coming. We're like, right. oh, look, he's going to... We're waiting um, for the wound to close up. <laughs> exactly. But, of course, the Mandalorian just picks him up. It's like, oh, you got out of the crib here. Back to you go. Like, he doesn't he doesn't acknowledge what he's doing at mm-hmm. all. Um, I don't know if force healing is a thing that we've ever seen before. Um, 
I don't yeah. think so. So I don't know, you know, other than like E.T., which is, I guess, technically part of the Star Wars universe. <laughs> yeah. They showed up in the prequels. Um, <laughs> um, uh, but, um, yeah, so... Yeah, it, it, it's 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 might be something that they've heard of, you know. They might have heard someone have the expression "May the force be with you" or something like that. But, but I don't think it, we're not led to believe that they've had either one of them have had any personal experience with it. Yeah, I think because Quill didn't seem to know what it was either. But I think he might not be totally truthful about mm, that. Could be. Um, he certainly has a past behind him, and he may just be choosing to keep certain certain things close to the chest. I don't know. Um. But one of my favorite parts of this episode is at the end of it when the Mandalorian and Quill sort of have their final interaction before he takes the baby off the planet. Um, and he says to Quill, I cannot thank you enough. Please allow me to give you a portion of the reward. So what do you think that this says about the character of the Mandalorian? Ashley, what do you think? Yeah, I think this just adds to the whole how fascinating this character is that even though he is in a morally questionable profession, many would say he does have a sense of honor and justice. He wants to be fair. He doesn't like just taking from people or like being indebted to them. He wants to make sure that he's treating them well in return. So this just makes me even more curious to see what he does with the child because we've seen him, you know, display hints of compassion and um, kindness to other people. So I think he's going to have a real problem turning this child over to the Imperial, not Imperials, whoever the client is. Yeah. And I keep wondering if that, I, that whole idea of offering part of the reward, if that's like sort of intrinsic in the Mandalorian code or if he's breaking with tradition and doing that that. could be interesting. So I don't really know. What do you think, Mike? Um, well, yeah, I certainly think that, uh, it does say, uh, again, you know, the fact that he's got a code. Um, in fact, in the first episode we see, even though we, it's established that he doesn't like droids a lot. Um, he's still at the beginning of the encounter with, uh, IG-11, he still offers to go in with him, um, and split the reward with him rather than just not like, you know, shoot him right there and to take the reward for himself. Um, so it's established that he, he, yeah, he's willing to work with others, and I think even more so to that point. After that, not only when he said, when you know, Quill says, uh, "I don't want the reward," Mandalorian even reaches out to him and says, "You know, you're pretty cool. Like, you want to hang out? Like, yeah, you wanna, come join like, me. Yeah, you want to, you want to join me?" And and <laughs> he's like, he's like, "Nah, that's not for me." But we get, we, you know, he's lonely. Mm-hmm. Like he, yes. he wants, he wants a, um, uh, not just a companion maybe, but, um, you know, Star Wars has this, this sort of history with these, um, characters that are orphaned that need or want, uh, mentor, father, mother figures, mm-hmm. parent figures. And, and they've got, they've established that relationship and the Mandalorian kind of digs it and wants to, it to continue. So, um, I, I, you know, I think that's, it didn't even, it, and what's interesting is it doesn't feel out of place. I mean, they've done their homework on this show, so it doesn't feel like it's out of nowhere where he asks him that. It's, it's like, oh no, that, that kind of makes sense. One of the things that intrigues me about that scene is when he declines it, when he declines to go with him. He tells him that he spent a lot, a lot of his life in servitude. Oh yeah, 
And I didn't, I didn't throw this question to you guys beforehand, but I'm curious what your reaction to that is. What do you, what do you think Quill's past could look like? Well, he's, uh, like I, I, I believe he's an Ognaught, right? Uh, I think yes. uh, it's established that even though, I mean, again, that's a little bit of fan service, but it's still, he's an Ognaught. Where, where have we seen so, them before? Uh, those are those are the, the workers on Bespin. Oh, okay. Uh, Got it. Yeah. Cloud so, City. yeah. So, yeah. He's, you know, if if he's true to that race, then yeah, they've they've got a history. That race, we've already seen it in Star Wars, where they have a history of just being these like little worker bees. Okay, so then this is an instance where our listeners get to enjoy you guys educating me, the Star Wars dope, <laughs> which is good. <laughs> I could be wrong. That's entertaining. Um, we, we, we've never heard uh, an Ognaught like speak, uh, you know, the King's English before, and certainly we've not, uh, you know, I never thought of them when I was watching Empire. Hey, they look like Nick Nolte. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's good. It's a good voice cast right there. Um. Do you think the Mandalorian cares more about the bounty or the child at this point where we are right now? Kind of seems like he's headed towards caring about the child as in the future. But right now, what do you think, Ashley? I honestly don't know. Um, like you said, he does care about the child. But, I mean, not turning it over to the client would put his reputation as a bounty hunter at risk. It could mm-hmm. result in him having a bounty placed on him and now he has to go on the run. And so I think he has some hard choices ahead of him. And I'm not even sure if he knows maybe yet what he's going to do. Like he's heading off the planet, but he's going to have some definite difficult choices to make. And I think he's going to struggle. I think he's ultimately going to side with the child, but it could be a little bit of a bumpy journey to get there. Let's hope so. (laughs) That makes for more interesting (laughs) viewing. What do you think, Mike? Well, sure. I mean, it does seem like, uh, you know, um, if the mission is over, like, well, we've still got like eight episodes or so to go. Like, so, um, yeah, I I don't get the sense that he's headed right back to deliver uh, the child to the client right away. Um, Now, I do think, though, that I don't know if we're going to see Quill again. I know. I love the fact that even I love the fact that he like drops just a little bit of guilt on him right at the end because the last thing he says is like good luck i hope you i hope that kid brings you a handsome reward yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> like you know like you know you should yeah good luck with that kid um and if you're just going to turn him in well good luck to you too um so i, I got a feeling that you know I, I our our hero so to speak we'll put them in quotes i guess uh is not uh, gonna go and turn him in right away. I think he's off to investigate further. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I think if he doesn't care about the child more than the bounty, I think he at least cares more about finding out what's going on right. than he does about getting the bounty. Because he, I mean, he took out IG Eleven in order to protect the child. Now, I guess one other motivation for that could have been he didn't want to split the bounty, but. He doesn't seem like that kind of guy, you know? And the fact that he offers Quill a portion of it later on would seem to confirm that. So that seemed like a defensive maneuver. And so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's loving this kid yet, but I think he certainly knows that people aren't being straight with him. And I think he wants to know why. Yes. At the very least, the kid saved his life. 
Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know how the Mandalorians feel about life debts or anything like that. But I mean, certainly he owes this kid a little bit of uh, consideration just because of that. That's true. Very true. It certainly seems like, you know, we've sort of this little two episode arc here. Now we're off of whatever planet this is, Tatooine, whatever it may be. (laughs) We're off into space now and we're going to start to get a wider view of this universe. Um, So my last question here for you guys is just what are you looking forward to, Ashley? Well, I'm definitely looking forward to meeting some of the other characters that we've seen in previews or read about in articles. Um, Cara Dune, I believe, is mm-hmm. um, one of the characters that I'm really curious to find out. I think she's an ex-rebel like rebel soldier, and I'm really curious to see how she will relate to the story in this whole mess involving the bounty and the child that the Mandalorian's gotten into. And I'm really curious to learn more about the client and what that scientist, why they want Baby Yoda, and just how this show may explain some of that period between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. Like, are we going to see some of the origins of the First Order here? Get some hints about, you know, what the heck Palpatine is doing in Episode Nine. So I think, um, like someone said earlier, it's not a coincidence that this show is happening very close to the rise of Skywalker. And yeah. I think the show is just going to get keep getting more exciting and more intriguing as it goes on. Definitely. Mike, what are you looking forward to? Ming-Na Wen. Yes. Uh, I, I am really a, a fan of hers. Uh, loved, loved, loved her character on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, uh, the promo pictures that I've seen of her as, uh, some sort of other, I think, bounty hunter, assassin character, um, I think Fennec Shan is her name, something like that. Um, uh, not that it seems to be, not that it seems to matter mentioning names on this show, uh, cause they haven't done that to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the only show where I'm two episodes in and I don't know anybody's name. Yep. I think- IG IG unit was the closest we got to a name. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't even know if he was named. Yeah. Um, but uh um no, I'm I'm super excited to see how uh she fits into things and uh yeah, just to see her go. Uh, uh yeah, that's that's going to be exciting. And yes, the implications are fine. I think even though this looks like uh it's going to be hey, um this is your just simple space a space western story um certainly it's got a lot of tropes of the westerns from back in the day um i think with just the child alone that the title of this episode we see that it's going to have deeper implications towards the star wars universe absolutely it the vibe of it reminds me of um there was a marvel comic a few years back focused on cable when Cable was running through time with the mutant Hope, who was a little child. She was, I think she was the, there was this long period where no mutants had come and then she was the first new mutant to come around and it was like a spark of hope for mutant kind and he's traveling through time with this little girl trying to protect her and it kind of has that vibe for me, which I'm enjoying. And I'm, it's clear that neither of you have ever read that. So it sounds <laughs> <Nah>. cool, though. <laughs> it's good. Go check it out. Um, that is the end of my questions. Was there anything about this episode that you guys didn't get a chance to say that you want to say? Uh, I'm trying to think if there's 
I mean, it's pretty simple. I mean, it was shorter than last week's. Yeah. Um, I I didn't. I thought these were going to be more than more like an hour. Uh, but uh, apparently they're just long enough as when the budget runs out. No, just kidding. Um. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe we'll get a two-hour movie next week. I mean, I well, it, yeah, it's true. And I like the fact that it's telling us, you know, it's letting the story and dictate how long these are. Yes. Um, because they don't feel padded. Uh, obviously, the, the, it's going at a deliberate pace. I mean, this is not a... Uh, an action-packed, uh, very fast-moving show. It's got a lot of interesting things that happen in it, but it's not like... I mean, it's taken us a while to get to know the characters, the environment, uh, even though it's familiar. Um, very familiar. Too familiar in some cases. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, um, I, I And, you know, exactly how the plot's going to develop over these next... Uh, few episodes is going to be the real uh, fun thing to watch. I know. I can't wait to see. Ashley, anything else you wanted to throw out there? No, I agree with all of that. Um, I believe that I saw somewhere that they have already begun shooting season two. So that's kind of exciting to hear. Hopefully that's correct. But um, just knowing that the story will continue and I will be very curious to see if like this season tells like one complete story or if they will leave us with a huge cliffhanger and we just have to wait. But overall, I'm really pleased with uh, what Disney Plus is doing with this, and I can't wait for some of the other Disney Plus Star Wars stories that we're going to be seeing in the near future. Absolutely. Well, guys, thank you for joining me today. Um, Mike, why don't you let everybody know kind of where they can find ESO, what you guys are doing over there. Give us that whole pitch. Well, um, uh, yeah, I mean, of course, uh, we're on the Earth Station One podcast weekly, uh, which, uh, you know, you can find at earthstation1.com or esonetwork.com. Uh, this week, we are recording our 500th episode. Oh, my gosh. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Mike and I have been doing this for almost 10 years. And uh, we are we are recording, actually, um, two episodes this week. We're recording 499 which is uh, a first for us. It is just Mike and I for like an hour, an hour and a half, however long it takes before we want to kill each other. <laughs> um, uh, just talking about, I guess, the last 10 years, or we haven't really even dictated a, a, a set outline for what we're going to do. We're just going to hang out and talk for a while. Uh, it's been with no guests. We've just never done that before. And for those um, of you that may not be familiar with ESO, Mike here is not just being schizophrenic and also referring to himself in the third person. <laughs> He's referring to Mike Faber. <laughs> yes, yes, Mike Faber. Our director Mike Faber, my, my partner in crime, so to speak. Um, and, and then uh, on Wednesday, we're going to be recording um, our episode 500. We're going to be doing that live at a local comic shop. We're going to be nice. uh, we're doing it Facebook Live so everybody can join in, um, and uh, we're just going to celebrate and have. We've got a, a couple of interesting topics we're going to bring up specifically that hopefully can get people involved, which is what we like doing. So, um, so that's that's a, and then you know the week after that we just go back to doing our own thing ever, uh, you know. There you go. Well, where can people find all of that? Where can they hunt that down and check it out? Uh, they can find us uh, at earthstation1.com or esonetwork.com. Cool. And then, Ashley, why don't you just remind everybody what you do with Earth Station 1 and what you do with us and why we all love you and you're so awesome. 
Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, I uh, I blog for the Earth Station One um, website, and I also do a weekly movie blurb called Box Office Buzz, a quick rundown of all the new movies coming out in theaters each weekend. And then I also blog for the Story Geeks website. So keeps me busy, but I really enjoy it. It's always great to have a place to geek out with other fans. Well, we are very blessed to have you. We highly we- value what you do for us. And we, we do too. We, we, we love sharing you. Aw, thanks. You guys are making me blush. <laughs> All right. Well, that is it for today's show. Special thanks to Mike and Ashley for joining me. Uh, guys, make sure you subscribe to the Story Geeks Talk Disney Plus so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes on The Mandalorian and everything else that's going to be coming up. Subscribe today on your preferred podcast provider. And while you're out there searching for the Story Geeks, make sure you check out the Story Geeks podcast as well. We're doing a Star Wars series over there where we're covering the corners of the Star Wars universe that you can't find on Disney+, Plus, so you don't want to miss that. Members of the Story Geeks Club, everyone who signs up at the $3 a month tier and above, get to join some of our live shows as we record. We're going to be doing several live shows. We'd love for you to be one of our club members and join us for those. For more information on how to do that or to find more information on the Story Geeks, visit thestorygeeks.com. Thanks for listening. And as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories and always seek the truth. Special thanks to all of the members of the Story Geeks Club. You can become part of the club for only $2 a month. Our friendly neighborhood club members get access to Jay's almost daily journals, which are short podcasts that he records almost every day. If you upgrade to $3 a month, you can vote on our upcoming topics. And as mentioned before, you can join us when we do live shows. At $5 a month, our Guardians of the Solar System tier, you get all our discussion questions and prompts before each show comes out. Our Guardians of the Solar System are Adam Vargas, Bob Sherfield, Justin Weaver, Mary Baldwin, Ray DeLeon, and Wade Johnson. At the $8 a month tier, which we call our Cosmic Heroes, you choose an aftercast topic for every series. Our Cosmic Heroes are Jim Baldwin, Monty Thigpen, and Nick Prokop. And finally, at $19 a month, you get a free t-shirt and you get to join us on an aftercast every single month. Our one extra special mastermind of multiverse mindness is Connie Moe. We appreciate all the members of the Story Geeks Club, even those we haven't mentioned by name. If you would like to support the show by joining the Story Geeks Club, please head over to thestorygeeks.com.